early in the week, I was reading through the chapter. And it's a lot of port cities and a lot of locations and destinations and things like that. And maybe it was just Monday, maybe it was just me, but my eyes began to glaze over as I read through those 46 verses and realized I had 10 more in the next chapter to do. And so I thought, well, I'll just dig into the history a little bit, really understand these cities and understand the time and all that. And my eyes really glazed over then. And I thought, well, how, if I'm going to glaze over just reading through it, how am I going to stand up here and read 56 verses of Scripture and watch you all glaze over? Have a video. You got the whole story this morning on video. And it's pretty cool. So we were invited by Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, to join with Paul and his friends and other travelers aboard this ship, aboard this perilous journey from Caesarea to Rome. We were invited. I'm using that term kind of loosely. We, uh, it's kind of like the time back a long time ago in the early 90s. There was a young basketball player named Stacy King. He played for the Chicago Bulls. And he got to play one night, and he scored one point. It was the same night that Michael Jordan scored 69 points in the game. He told a reporter, Stacy King told a reporter after the game, that he will always remember that night as the night that he and Michael Jordan combined for 70 points. <laughs> so we get to go with Paul on this journey this morning. Let's pray and begin. Father God, thank you for loving us so much that you gave us your holy word for us to look into and study. Thank you for loving us so much that you didn't pull any punches in your word. You just told it to us like it was. Through the faithful writing of faithful people, we have the story of this adventure between Caesarea and, and Rome. Father, help us to see not only the story and the characters, but let us see your truth today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a week, hasn't it? Have you noticed this week just how broken our world is? I mean, for you, you, you probably noticed it in ways that I didn't know. But some of you I've talked with this week, several of you, have conveyed to me the storms in your life. Some things that have broken, some things that have pressed upon you from the outside and from the inside. And I know that you are not alone in this, but most of the folks sitting around you today could identify in one way or the other with just how perilous our journey is. So I thought it was very timely that this is the chapter that we're doing. So I titled this, When It Rains It Pours. You know that slogan, when something bad happens, it just seems to domino effect and more bad and more bad and more bad happen. And I thought, well, 
I've got the Bible story, but how else can I illustrate this? There's a story that Max Lucado shared in one of his books, and I think he got it from a newspaper article that he read. And the article is about Chippy the Canary. Chippy the Canary lived in a cage and had an owner, and the owner cared for Chippy very well. In fact, the owner took really good care of Chippy, but one day she was going to clean Chippy's birdcage, but she was in kind of a hurry. She was kind of rushed and distracted, so she decided to just vacuum out the bottom of the cage. Chippy's up there on the little, you know, swing, just kind of wondering who's invading my cage. And she takes the vacuum, and she's vacuuming out the birdcage, and the phone rings, and she's startled by it, and she turns around. <laughs> Notice the action. When she looks back around, Chippy's not there. Uh-oh. And she immediately turned off the vacuum cleaner, ran over to the vacuum cleaner, opened up the canister, it was one of those, opened up the canister, and there's Chippy in the bag, all covered with dirt and hair and fuzzy stuff, just looking up like, really? And she took him out, and she was looking at him, and he was, he was just such a mess. And she couldn't stand to see her lovely little Chippy the canary like that. So she took Chippy over to the sink and she turned on the water and she held Chippy under the water to wash him off. Chippy looked up at her again. Really? She had told this to some of her friends and a couple of days later one of her friends asked, well, how's Chippy doing? Well, he just sits in his cage and he doesn't sing much and just stares. Sometimes when life has been hard, you just feel like sitting on your swing and not singing, just staring. I mean, did you ever make a statement? Did you ever say something and just wish you could take it back? Did you ever make a decision? I'm gonna do this. Sounded like a good idea at the time, right? and you wish you could take it back. Paul, in chapter 25, makes one of those statements when he's telling his story again and telling about all the issues going on and how the Jews have come up against him. And he says in chapter 25, verses 11 and 12, If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worth of, worth of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of these things is true for which these men accuse me, the Jews from Jerusalem, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Festus had conferred with his council and he answered, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you'll go. And that's when I think Paul Maddox went, yeah, oh, wait a minute. He knew he'd been called by God, told by God that he would go to Rome and he would stand before kings. That's early on in his conversion experience. But I think he was thinking more of a, you know, a nice sailing trip up the coast, get off, be with some friends, hang out in Rome, and then get a chance to go visit with Caesar and tell him his story about Jesus. Uh, that's not how it works. But Festus did say, how about a cruise? And so he put him in irons, 
And he gave him a tour guide, a centurion named Julius. He said, you don't have to walk all the way to Rome. You don't even have to ride a horse. We'll put you on a boat. It'll be nice. It'll get some sun. So they got on the boat and they took off. They went a little ways. They found another boat, bigger boat. So they got from boat number one to boat number two. And off they went. More soldiers, more prisoners, more people, bigger crew. And he had a couple of friends with him. And there they were. Then things changed. You know, you know how things change. You make a decision, you make a statement, things change. You're going, oh, snap. The winds began to get a little stronger. There seemed to be a storm brewing on the water where they were headed into. So they pulled into a place called Fairhaven. That sounds nice and peaceful. Probably was named that for summer visiting. It's like going up and staying at a place along the lakes up in the northern Ohio area. Fair Haven. It's a nice place until the weather changes. It possibly was a little late for them to be on the voyage. You heard in the video that it was too late, but they went anyway. It was into October, and we know this because one of the comments in the Scripture said, that the time of the fast had already passed. This was the Day of Atonement. This is a big fast day for the Jewish nation. On the Day of Atonement, all the Jews would just, they wouldn't do anything else that day. No work, no play, no school, no nothing. They wouldn't eat. They wouldn't drink. They wouldn't have friends over. They wouldn't even put on shoes that day. Nothing goes on during the day except they would sit around and read cheerful lamentations of Jeremiah. And all of this because they were remembering the time in the wilderness when they turned their back on God and made a calf of gold while Moses was up on the mountain receiving instruction from God. And when Moses came back down, the people were going nuts. And it cost some of them their lives. It was a day to remember not to turn your back on God, to be sorry, not for getting caught, but to be sorry for turning your back on God. Nothing else would go on. That happens in mid-October. This is probably a little bit later. We don't know exactly how much further into the fall and winter time was coming, but we do know that it was time when storms pop up. And through prophecy, Paul warns the captain and the pilot. There were usually two people on these larger vessels. He warns them not to go. Just stay put. Even though the port's not great for winter, it's better than out there. And Julius, his tour guide centurion, was there, and they all conferred together. And Julius and the captain and the pilot decided, hey, this is our job. We know sailing. We know the boat, the strength of the boat that's ready to take on a storm. I've been out there many times in the storm, the pilot would say. I know how to go. I know where the places are that we should watch for, and we should just go ahead and go and not stay here. 
And a couple of days later, the winds did kind of die down a little bit. And so they took off, only to get out in the deep water and the storm to really blow in. Paul had warned them, but it didn't matter. Paul was no stranger to the harsh realities of life, just like you and I are no strangers to the harsh realities of life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, we get a little snapshot of Paul's life. It reads, are they servants of Christ? I more so, he's defending himself. He's talking about his place in the early church. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was in a shipwreck. One of those times I spent a day and a night in the deep. He's no stranger to the hardships. There's more to come in this journey. Not only did the storm pick up, but the storm got murderously worse. They were afraid. They will literally tie the ship. They would put lines all the way underneath the ship and back up to the other side and cinch them tight to hold the ship together because the waves would twist it as they would pound on it. They would not only tie up the ship, but they would throw the cargo, you know, the grain and all this stuff that they were transporting. They would throw a lot of that overboard. They would throw all the extra boxes, extra stuff. And if that didn't lighten it up enough, a day or so later, they threw a lot of their equipment over. This is stuff they needed to run the thing. This was like necessary stuff to a sailor on a boat. They're throwing it out in the water just so they can go wherever the wind blows them ride it out as best they could because they were fearful of their very lives. It was that kind of storm. When it rains, it pours, right? When the storms come into your life, it's not like you have a little blow and then it calms down. It's like the blow turns into a gale force wind, turns into a tornado or a hurricane, and all of a sudden things are going crazy. That's what they're seeing here. More to come. When it rains, it pours. Doesn't it seem like that in Scripture for people? When we read about folks that are trying to follow God. You and I are trying to follow God, and we take our lead from all these people in the Bible that we get to read about and study. But doesn't it seem like that when they are really trying their best to follow God, it is not easy. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, Therefore saith the Lord, follow me, it's going to be easy. Doesn't say that anywhere. Joseph was going to be this son of Jacob that would preserve his entire family through the famine. He had already been sold into slavery by his brothers. He had already been in situations where he was misunderstood or they were out to get him and he was imprisoned. He was just following God's will and God's presence in his life. And Joseph would 
deliver his family. David, before becoming king, he had been anointed, he had been chosen to replace Saul, who was just going off the deep end. But Saul just didn't feel right about this David guy. They brought him in to play the harp, to calm him down. I mean, he defeated Goliath, that was a good thing. But he just didn't feel right. He began winning too many battles and Saul began getting too jealous. And Saul began to try to kill David. Really? David's just trying to do what God wants him to do. You read about others. Jeremiah suffers the wrath of the Hebrews as he warns them to turn back to God. And they throw him in a well and they don't do whatever he says. And it's all this stuff. And all he's trying to do is give them the word that God has given them. Not only Jeremiah, but Daniel, when the people didn't turn back to God and they were hauled away into captivity, Daniel's a young man that was hauled away with them into captivity. He was chosen by the king, some of the young men, to serve in the king's courts, and they tested them, and Daniel said, you know, this is how we're going to go about it, to honor our God, and it seemed to work out all right, and Daniel actually grew in favor in the king's court, until there was this thing about, you know, with the lions. I would say that was kind of a bad day for Daniel, and yet he didn't worry because he was doing exactly what God was wanting him to do in life, no matter what was going on around him. And the lions didn't eat him, and the king brought him out. The disciples, oh gee, so many stories there. So many times, the disciples, especially after the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples would be faithful they would try to live their life as best they could and take the good news of Christ throughout the known world at the time. And yet everywhere they met with resistance, hatred, and they were all killed sooner or later. James says to us, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. There's going to be testing, but that it produces endurance, so that you can lack nothing. I'm thinking, Lord, in my spiritual life, can't I just go to a gym somehow? and work out and build my strength that way, build my endurance that way? Isn't there something that's a little more fun than testing and trials to build my endurance? It seems to be the way God does things, though. He continues to allow the brokenness of our world. He's not caused the brokenness. He's working with us within the brokenness. It's not God's fault that the world is broken. But he allows the testing. But when it rains, it pours. You familiar with that? There's a good side to that. On the label of your salt, back in 1914, the Morton Salt Company added what did they add? I got the name of it here. Magnesium carbonate. 
to their salt so that it wouldn't clump together when things kind of got moist and the atmosphere got wet, when it was really humid or when it rained. And so they introduced this new salt that wouldn't clump with a picture of a little girl and an umbrella walking with the salt thing under her arm and it's pouring out as she walks through the rain. When it rains, it pours. It still works. There's good news. My salt doesn't get clumpy. When it rains, it pours. Try not to look at that for the rest of the sermon. (laughs) It's a symbol of hope. It pours. We who have known the darkness of the storms have a greater appreciation of the sunshine. I am such a child of the 70s. Sunshine on my shoulder makes me happy. Sunshine in my eyes can make me cry. Sunshine on the waters looks so lovely. Sunshine almost always makes me remember John Denver singing to me. Because we like sunshine. Look out there today. It's gorgeous out there. I cannot guarantee that it will stay like that. So enjoy it today while you can. Sunshine is fun. There's a favorite old hymn that a lot of you will remember. Through many dangers, toils, and snares we have already come. Twas grace that brought us safe thus far. And grace will lead us home. We're in the dangers, we're in the toils, we're in the snares, and we're getting through it because of God's grace. If it wasn't for God's grace, we would be destroyed. If it wasn't for God's grace, the people on the ship would be destroyed along with the ship. Adonai, the Lord is our strength. Adonai Jehovah. A tough concept for us to realize is this idea of sovereignty. But He, God, is over all. He is completely in control. He never loses control. It's hardly comforting in grieving. I read this horrible story of a minister who was doing a funeral and he told them it wasn't God's will for their loved one to have died. Well, doesn't God's will trump everything? Doesn't God always stay in control? How in the world is it comforting to tell a family that, oh yeah, when you needed him most, God couldn't handle it? That's not right. God's will is always done. Your will be done. That phrase that we use over and over again. In the storms of life, we need to realize that the Bible teaches that God is absolutely sovereign. Meaning what He says He will do. When things are out of our control... Always remember, they're not out of God's control. God caused that boat 
blown around by the storm. They throw everything overboard. They're afraid for their lives. God caused that boat to drift 476 miles from the island of Clauda to Malta before it landed on that shore. How in the world did they get there? God got them there. We're not out of control. We're not out of God's will. Let me put it that way. We're not out of God's will just because we get caught in a storm. Things get hard, doesn't mean you're out of God's will. You find yourself in a storm, it's happened, hasn't it? Doesn't mean you're out of God's will. We could all say, amen, brother, preach it. We know what it is to be in the storm, and we are not out of God's will just because we're there. Now, sometimes our sinful choices, things we do in disobedience to how God would want us to live, sometimes those have consequences that play out. I am so thankful that sometimes God saves me from my consequences of being stupid, but sometimes I have to live with my being stupid and play those things out. But not every time that things are blowing up is necessarily because of our choices. Sometimes we're impacted by the choices of other people. They're not in God's will making choices that impact your life and my life and our lives and all of us. It's other people. What are they doing in my stuff? I don't know. We may be exactly where God wants us to be in the storm. There's a good thought for you. Wait a minute. God's a God of love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me, you know, all this. Why am I in a storm? Something must be wrong. You know what? It may be that's exactly where God wants you to be. Thanks, God. It's kind of like Job saying, thanks, God. When Satan said, ah, your creatures, your creations, they're so easily disturbed. And God says to Satan, have you seen my boy Job? Thanks, God. We're in the storm. Thanks, God. But it may be exactly where he wants us. Remember Jesus sent his disciples after they'd had that great time together. He sends them in a boat. You guys go on ahead. I'll meet you over there. There's like, has he got another boat? How's he got? Doesn't matter. He said, go, we'll go. They got in the boat. They went out on the water. Jesus stayed to pray. When it was time for him to head out, there was already a storm brewing out there on the Sea of Galilee. Storms blow up like this all the time on seas, on bodies of water. And they were out there fighting the storm and just going nuts with it, not making very much headway. And so Jesus said, well, I don't have to like fly over. They're going so slow. I can walk out there and meet them. So he comes walking on the waves through the storm. The thing with Peter is a different story. We'll get to that one some other time. Get out of the boat, Peter. Come join me. Okay. In the middle of the storm, Jesus says, get out of the boat and come join me. He didn't take him out of the storm first. In the middle of the storm, Jesus would say to you, to me, just come out here and stand where I'm standing. See all of this from my perspective. 
Do we have the faith? We're never out of God's care when we get caught in the storm. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. He doesn't forget you. He cares for you. He cared for all the passengers on the ship. He told Paul, tell them that if they'll just stay on the ship, nobody will get hurt. Nobody will lose their life. Is it going to be easy? No. Are we going to lose the ship? Yes. Stay on the ship. Don't even try to bail out early. Stay on the ship. You'll be safe. And they did and they were. Here's the thing. You and I both know this. The storms in life change you. I mean, they offer great change to your reality. And if you have enough storms in life, I remember the guy who said he'd been sitting by the fountain for 38 years. He couldn't get to the water. He'd been lame for 38 years. And Jesus came along and healed him. 38 years. We think, man, I've been struggling for like six months. I've been struggling for like five years. I've been struggling for most of my life. But it, storms change us. And sometimes it helps us really see the value of our relationship to God through our Savior. He says in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, Store up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This implies very clearly there will be moths, there will be rust, there will be thieves to break in and destroy. But seek your Father. Store your treasures with the Father. And things are different. The storms that change you, maybe even some permanent changes in you. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. Those should draw you closer to store up your treasures in heaven. Our responsibility in the storm is to trust openly in God's care. Trusting God and using your brain can go hand in hand. You do not disengage the brain to trust God. Well, I don't care. I'm just going to go, you know. I mean, do the sensible thing. God gives you your brain for a reason. Let Him use that also. But to trust in God means that you're going to be different in the storm than someone who's not trusting in God. When the storm of life hits you, guess what? It hits other people just like it. You are not alone in whatever, whatever it is you're going through. And I've talked to enough people this week to know there's a great variety. Like I said earlier, there's a great variety of brokenness. And I didn't get to talk to all of you, but you've all got your stories to tell. But know that God wants you to be different in your storm than people who don't know Him. Even though Paul was afraid like the others, in verse 24, the angel tells Paul, fear not. <laughs> it's hard to think of Paul being afraid. The angel had to say to him, don't be afraid. 
you're going to get to Rome because God told you that you would stand before Caesar. You and all these people, 276 of them in the boat, you're all going to get there. Don't be afraid. God promised. The best defense against storm-driven fear is a good offensive plan, folks. The best, defense, the best defense against the storm and the fear that it brings is a good offensive plan. Your daily walk of pursuing God before the storms comes is huge because when the storms come, it's kind of harder. But you still need to stay with it. Proverbs warns us in the very first chapter. Love the wisdom of Proverbs. In the very first chapter, it just talks simply about to ignore the counsel and wisdom of God does not prepare us well for life. He gives us His Word to read, to study, to ingest into our very being. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Prepare your heart Today, maybe when the winds aren't quite as strong, because tomorrow they may pick up. Today's the best day. I've told you before, coming to church on, on Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. Prepare. I don't know how many young couples I've told through the years, if you want to keep yourself pure before the Lord, if you want to keep yourself pure for your spouse, that's not a decision to be made at 2 a.m. on a Friday night out on a date, that's a decision to be made during the day, well before, many times over. How you prepare your life helps you navigate the storm. God is sovereign to save His chosen people. We need to remember that too. And not only is God saying that He's going to save all the people on the ship, it does mean that He is appointing those to be saved, trusting in God to be sovereign, to save us. I mean, He told Paul, you're going to be saved and your friends are going to be saved and all these other folks get saved too. God is sovereign. He will choose to save. But He tells us, keep up your courage He's standing before all these sailors who know their stuff and they are terrified. He's standing before all these prisoners who probably don't have a bright future anyway and they're terrified. They want a future no matter what it's going to look like. He's standing before all these people and he says, you know what guys, keep up your courage because I believe in God. Hello? How many people can you talk to in your life today that are going through storms that you need to tell them you need to keep up your courage because I believe in God. You're going to have to have a verbal witness. And you might have to preach to yourself first. But you must preach to others as well. Your faith in God. God will use our trusting Him to bear witness to the people around us. I have a friend who's got a hard week coming up. How many people will see a person with a hard week when they ought to be seeing a person who loves and trusts their God 
even in the storm. People will see this. People will notice. Maybe it's not of your own choosing. Maybe it's something that's happened to you. Inside of you, around you, something's happened to you, not of your own choosing. People are noticing. They know what's going on in your life. You don't live in a bubble. They're going to be watching you. Because Paul was faithful, the other 275 people on the ship heard about God. Because Paul was faithful, the people on the island of Malta not only heard the good news, but some, many, were healed powerfully by the power of God. One person who trusts God in a storm can have major impact on so many other people around them. You must stand before Caesar. This was the word that Paul had received. This is one of God's musts that he's given them. There's a quote. Do we have it? Yeah. If God has a purpose for you, it must be fulfilled. If God has a plan for your life and you have accepted it and committed it to him for execution, neither earth nor hell can prevail against it. If God has a must and he's shared it with you, you must do this, you must be this, you must have this, and you receive that from God and you embrace that and you feel drawn to that and convicted to that, that's what's going to get you through. Where do your storms come from? Sometimes you know, sometimes you don't. What do you do when the storms come? We have many difficulties. We have maybe even sin and corruption in our own hearts. There's temptations of Satan that come against us. There's affliction, there's persecutions. Maybe it could be God just putting you where you have to depend on Him alone. You're going to go to the doctor? Hey, they practice their medicine on you. You're still depending on God alone, even though you're trusting the doctors to do what they're going to do. You put your hands and your life into God. You, at last, can certainly be saved by the care of Christ, who died for you, gave His life for you, that you don't have to suffer the consequences of your sinful choices. He designed you to be with Him in the first place. And He's done so much. He's done everything to make that possible for you to be with Him. Just like the additive in the salt keeps it from clumping up, it still pours, even in the rain. The additive of Christ into your life is beautiful. And it will accomplish its goal in you. You have God's Word on it. Life is busy. Life is so busy. Some of our own folks couldn't even be here today. I told them I'd wave at them. Life is busy. Life is hard some days. Life is better some days. Life on occasion is even easy and delightful. Soak that up. But when you're in it, when you're in the middle of the storm, when it's raining like crazy, 
the love of God, the provision of God, the proof of that pours into you every day. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the God who gave us life, gave us breath, gave us our very design and purpose for being. Thank you, Lord, for your healing in our lives. Thank you for your protection in our lives. Thank you for the strength that you have in our life, even when we don't recognize you. Father God, help us to pursue you. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for loving us. And help us to remember, even when the storms of life are so big, you're there. Even when the lions all around us are roaring, you're there. Even when the fires in the furnace are blazing hot, you're there. Even when the ship that we're standing in is disintegrating under our feet, you're there. Thank you for being there, for being a God who cares and is there for us. Lord, move in people's hearts this morning. Remind them of this again over and over and over until they finally get it. That you're not broken, just the world around them seems to be. Father, draw them back to you. Don't let them be stubborn. Don't let them be obstinate. We see how that works out when we read Scripture, and it doesn't ever work out well. Father, let us give ourselves to you as you have given our, yourself for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit who is holy, hear our prayer, O Lord. Amen.